Friends, welcome to the Small Business Matters podcast. It's the only podcast that truly matters to small business. My name is Tim Fulton. I'm the founder, chief evangelist for Small Business Matters. I'm the host for today's podcast. My co-host today is Taylor Fulton. Taylor is the director of marketing for Small Business Matters. Taylor, welcome. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Great to be here. It is It is great to be here. We're here in Atlanta. I want to welcome all of our listeners today from all over the country. Taylor, I'm really excited. We've got one of my favorite people, John Wade, is with us today. Been looking forward to having John with us. John, welcome to the Small Business Matters podcast. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Tim. So Taylor, John, is the he's the founder and CEO of C3, uh, Corporate Culture Consulting, which is a, a firm that specializes in aligning companies' culture with its strategic goals. I've had the pleasure of knowing John now for a couple of years. Like myself, he's also a, he's a vested speaker. He's an author. He speaks to both big companies and small companies. He's a facilitator, a trainer. He's a thought leader in the area of corporate culture, which is an area I'm really looking forward to exploring today on the podcast. Uh, Taylor, really interesting. Uh, John is the parent of U.S. parents in Mexico City. He's lived in five countries, speaks fluent Spanish, Portuguese, and, of course, English. He's the author of a sales and culture book called Reinventing Ralph, keynote speaker on the topics of leadership and culture. He's a blogger. He's a big soccer fan. We may have to get into that today. Wine enthusiast, and maybe most importantly, a proud dad. So again, John, I want to welcome you to the show. We always start off with the the first question, and that first question, John, is what is it that you do that matters most to small businesses? So, so what I do is I help small businesses leverage culture. Most people don't think they work on culture, and what I do is is actually help them work on it because. The definition of culture is very murky for a lot of people, and I talk to to small business owners, and they say, well, we already do culture. I said, well, what are your values? And they don't know them. And then I say, well, are, what are the behaviors around those values? And they can't tell me. And then my third question is, are you living your culture? And, uh, and it's surprising that, that, you know, those three simple questions can tell me whether a company has a culture or not. You know, a lot of companies have a de facto culture. They don't have an on-purpose culture. So we help you leverage culture. Uh, And, you know, they say culture eats strategy for breakfast. So we help you leverage that. Excellent. Well, John, again, thanks for being on the show. One one question that I'm always curious about uh, is how our guests get to the point where they are in their career. And looking at your bio, I see you spent a number of years in sales and marketing for, for large companies like PepsiCo uh, and Chateau St. Michel Wines. So I'm curious how you got to be where you are and, and doing more consulting and working with small businesses. Right. So so my journey started, you know, it all starts with childhood. So I uh, had a dad that was a really good businessman. Uh, he ran Frito-Lay in Mexico City for 22 years. And we had a nice upbringing, you know, uh, he also started an ice cream company down there. So we had ice cream and Fritos and, uh, and they're owned by Pepsi. So, you know, we had a lot, we had uh, soft drinks too. So All the healthy stuff, it was a huh? fun house to grow up in. And then uh, my mom was a, you know, was a consummate uh, people person. She knew everybody, every American in Mexico City knew my mom. <laughs> 
And so we had a lot of parties. We, we used to have the ambassador for, for Denmark that lived next door. She was over at our house every day. As a matter of fact, the ambassador would come at nine o'clock at night and, and, uh, and grab her and help her get home. <laughs> uh, so, so anyway, um, and what I did was I started a career, you know, driven by my dad and, and very interested in business. I got an MBA in international business. I lived and worked for IBM in Brazil and worked for, for PepsiCo in, in Chile and, and, uh, also lived in Spain. So, and also did work in Mexico. So, I took those business skills and was very, you know, luck was very fortunate to have a dad and follow a career in business. And then I also combined the people part. I used to win leader of the year when I worked at PepsiCo at, at the winery. I was recognized as one of the better leaders. And so I've always liked that people part in combination with business. And for the last 15 years, I've been doing uh, training and, and speaking and consulting in the area of uh, sales and leadership and management and really with a specialty in culture where you're combining the business acumen with the, the with the people skills. John, I want to dive right into this idea of organizational culture. I just I find it such an interesting topic, particularly as it relates to small businesses. So let's start with this. You know, I think many small business owners, when they hear about culture, they say, well that's that's for big businesses. Right <laughs> here, small businesses. We don't need to worry about culture. So, straighten our our listeners out on that. Why is culture uh, as important for small companies as it might be for big companies? Well, I I feel it's more, even more important for small companies because you know a CEO of a large company might go home at night and have a few nightmares, but you know he's still going to get paid because there's a lot of money in the coffers and. Like my dad used to say, uh, Pepsi will be around long after I'm dead and they'll keep paying me. <laughs> so so for small businesses, you really have to worry about culture because, you know, cult, the way your people behave, the way they represent you, the way they behave with each other, the way they behave with your customers, all that is culture. And if you have a receptionist that doesn't... Uh, that answers the phone in a nasty way, you know, and you lose a lot of customers that way, you may not even know about it. So you may be in a financial uh, storm that you don't even know why why you are, and it has a lot to do with, with culture, which is really, you know, again, it's just the behaviors of your people. That's what culture is. And most people will behave like they want to behave unless there's a on-purpose culture in, in the company. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. And so, John, as, as a small business owner or a leader, thinking about culture can be uh, somewhat intimidating, especially when yeah. when starting from the ground up. So when when you're speaking or working with small businesses, what do you advise or what tactics do you recommend to get off the ground and, and really start working on the culture itself? Well, I, I, I've done work with with quite a few small businesses and, and one in particular, I it, you know, they had 20 people and they called me in because they read one of the articles that I wrote on culture and they're, they're located here in Atlanta and the owners were not sleeping well at night. They were working, you know, 24, seven, seven days a week. And, you know, they said, and they had a huge wall. I remember walking in and the wall was covered with, 
with words and it was a glass wall it was covered with words that represented their culture and what i said right right away to them is i they said we think we have a culture problem i said why do you think you have a culture problem he said because our employees won't do what we ask them to do <laughs> and i said i said well that's yeah that's that's one of the symptoms of a culture problem i said I can tell from your board here, from the glass wall, that there's a lot of words up there. Um, do you feel like there may be too many or maybe too complicated? And they go, yeah, I, I, we really haven't refined what, what we want from our people. I said, well, that's, that's normal. And so let's talk about three values and some behaviors around them. And that's, you know, as simple as it I believe in the KISS principle, keep it short and simple. Uh, so, so we, or there's another definition for it, but I'll spare your, your listeners. So, <laughs> so anyway, um, it's three values and some behaviors. And if you get creative with the values, uh, you can, you can create a, a really good culture, you know, and it's not that hard. Now, the hard part is once you create the values you want, the purpose, the mission, the values, and then you write down some behaviors, then you got to train against it. And once you train against it and everybody is living it, then you have what I call a non-purpose culture, which is going to give you a huge return on investment because you'll be able to predict the behaviors, the good behaviors of your receptionist, of the people in the back room, of uh, you know, every staff member. You'll be able to predict the behavior that you're going to get. Now, a, a, an easy example of this is when you go into Chick-fil-A, you believe that the behavior at Chick-fil-A from the people that work there is predictable. Absolutely. What do they say when you say thank you? What do they say back to you? My pleasure. My pleasure, right? And who says it? Just one of them or is it consistent in every single store? Oh no, it's everybody, everywhere. It's everybody everywhere. So so Chick-fil-A has an interesting formula. They they control the chicken and obviously how fast it's served and how well it's made. Uh, so does KFC. Uh, so they, you know, they're both in the chicken business. They both deliver, you know, hot chicken quickly. Why does Chick-fil-A outsell uh, KFC by six times? Six million to one million per store per year on average. Why is that? Well, I... I don't think they have better better chicken. <laughs> that, <laughs> right. that would be one. Um, I you know that's that's an interesting question, John. And and my guess it comes down to their their people and and their values and their culture. But help us out with that. Okay. So could you predict the behavior of somebody at KFC? No, I think it varies store by store. Right. Can you predict the cleanliness of a restroom at KFC? No, I'm sure that varies as much as what I the service I get at each store. Okay, right. So, so I have a friend that works in the fast food business, and he said I do culture, John, and he's a finance wizard. And I, I said to him, you do the finances amazingly. You don't do culture because I've been into your stores and the bathrooms are dirty. And that's a reflection of your culture. He goes, well, that's kind of low. I said, no, it's not. I said the the behaviors of your employees at your stores matter because it's the reflection of your company to the outside world. So when they don't clean the bathrooms, when they don't engage you in conversation, when they don't smile with teeth, uh, when they don't say it's my pleasure after you say thank you, 
in a concerted fashion, then you're losing money. (laughs) You're leaving money on the table. And that's, you know, Chick-fil-A, really, the only big difference is that we feel comfortable going to Chick-fil-A, and we don't even know why. And we feel like their products are better. We feel like it's a safer place to go because everybody's wearing masks these days. And, you know, I've been out to some restaurants recently, and some of them, they're wearing masks, and some of them, they're not. <laughs> so guess which ones I'm going back to? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so that's, for a small business, every single employee matters, right? Mm-hmm. And, and employees are a huge expense to the, you know, to the, to the P&L. So why not spend some time to really train them on the behaviors that you want from them and how you want them to smile? And, you know, I I always say smile with teeth. And even if you don't have teeth, smile with gums. (laughs) So, uh, you know, because that matters, you know, because I've I've talked to people that don't smile much and I and they're leaders of companies. And I go, what happens when you don't smile? You know, well, people think I'm kind of rough and tough and, and they don't really like me. and Morale is low in my company. Uh, I talked to a CEO of a big company, and he would look at his watch as he talked to me. And I said, I bet you have a morale problem at your company. Yes. He said, why, why do you say that? I said, because you look at your watch when you're talking to me. And that's disrespectful. And that if you do that with your employees, that also shows disrespect. So, And probably if they don't think you respect them, probably they don't work as hard. Maybe they don't you know, contribute as much. He says, you attributed all that? I said, yeah, that's called observable human behavior. And I do that for a living. <laughs> and he said, I'll hire you. You're awful bold to tell me that I did that. <laughs> so, John, I'm curious, uh, for a small business, as it grows, as it expands, as it adds people, does the culture change? And, and is, do we want the culture to change? How does that happen? So with most places, because they don't understand really what culture is, it it does change. And it changes as you grow because you bring in people from, you know, from different places who have different cultural and value norms. So your company changes as you bring people on. Your company changes as you change. So if you, you know, a nice indicator of culture is what does the leader do? And if what the leader does is is good, then it's usually reflected in the people. And if what they're doing is not good, it's also reflected in the people. So if you're running a small business and you're not setting the example, then it's really hard to be exemplary. So it does does change over time, which suggests, you know, as as leaders of small business, we certainly we can impact our, our culture. We can we can impact those changes. So, John, share with our listeners, what is a typical engagement for you? I know companies bring you in to help them create this this positive culture, but take us through, what's a typical engagement for you? Well, what I usually do is, is once, I, once the, the owners are convinced that they want to do this type of work, what I do is I ask them to, to interview three or four of their top employees. <coughs> Nowadays, I do it on the phone. Uh, we do it virtually. I used to do it in person. And then what I do is I write up a culture book for them. And that culture book includes the values, the, the purpose, the mission, the values and the behaviors that they want, you know, that, that the best people in the company emulate. 
And then what I do is after that, we, we train against it. So I have, you know, again, now we're doing virtual training. Uh, we can do in-person training also. And we get everybody on board of behaving a certain way. And with small companies, it's a little bit easier because you can get access to all the employees. With the larger companies, you have to do it from the top down. Because if the top isn't doing it, it's just like, how do you sweep the, the stairs, you know, from the top down? So, so that's how we do it. And larger and then smaller, we, we get everybody in, in a room or we say if it's a little bit larger company, we, we bring in 10 people at a time and, and do rotations an hour each, you know, and then I come in once a month for, you know, six months because it takes about six months to change attitudes and behaviors in adults. And then they're, once they started to live it, they have to keep it up. And so I monitor with them, you know, two to three times a year. I come in and do a workshop or we talk to make sure that that culture is continuing to, to thrive. And a Harvard Business Review article said that if you're willing to work on your culture, you can have three times more profit for employee, per employee, four times faster revenue growth. And uh, 50% less employee turnover, especially of your top employees. So it, it, it has an ROI. It has a huge ROI. It's just that I, I've been working on, on this subject for 15 years and finally found a formula to simplify it and, and make it easy for companies to implement it. So, and now I'm just getting the word out that this is something that everybody knows culture is important. They just don't know how important it is and, and how to work on it. So that's what, what we do to help companies. So I'm, I'm curious, John, you know, everyone says they want to strive for great culture or <laughs> that the leadership is concerned with culture. But, uh, you know, is culture something that is unique to each company? Is it is it something that there's a, a cookie cutter type of methodology that, hey, this worked for this company, so it's going to work for me? Um I'm just curious from a from a uh, growth standpoint, uh, are we shooting for uniqueness or are we shooting for something that's scalable and that can be reproduced? Well, both. You want it to be unique to you because each company has a different DNA. Their founders have a different DNA. Mm -hmm. Their business uh, is different. You know, if you're in property management or if you're in, you know, if you make shoes, you know, you're going to have a different culture. Uh, you know, Amazon's got a lot of different uh, divisions and each one has its own culture. And they've, they've bought a couple of companies that have good cultures uh, in Whole Foods and also in, in Zappos Shoes. And, and what happens is when you buy a good culture, you better keep that culture up because that's the, the premiums that Jeff Bezos paid for those companies is because of the culture. <laughs> Uh, because, you know, we like to shop at Whole Foods because not only are the stores nice, but the people treat us nicely. We like to zap shop with Zappos because, you know, they, they said you could buy shoes from any online retailer. Why would you buy them from us? And it's because their customer service is, is second to none. So, yes, each one's unique and, and every culture is scalable. From, and, and, you know, large companies say, oh, I can't work on culture. I said, yes, you can uh, small companies say, I can't work on culture. Yes, you can. <laughs> so every every company can do it. Let me give you a few examples of some values that might be different for different companies. So Southwest Airlines, a, a larger company, has three values, right? So they have, um, and I, I tier the values into three categories. So I say you've got an aspirational value, 
what I call a growth value, and then the, the third one is the operational value. So for Southwest Airlines, their aspirational value that makes you want to come to work and inspires you is fun-loving, and they spell loving without U-V-I-N-G, which is unique to Southwest. The second one is servant heart, and that's the one that helps you to grow and get better. So I, if I'm a servant heart, I, I'm humble. You know, I keep learning. I keep serving people, you know, and I learn, I learn, I learn. And then the third one is the warrior spirit. That's what gets the bags, you know, loaded onto the planes, the planes turned around, all the operational stuff, all the money stuff is in that value of warrior spirit. So let me take you to another small company. Their values are very different. They're, they're, they've got their top value, their aspirational value is lived appreciation, right? So they appreciate their people, they appreciate their customers, so it's lived appreciation. That's what makes the employees and the customers wanting to come back. Then they have drive for excellence as their growth value, so they're striving to get better all the time. And then their third value is uh, is discipline performance management because they're in a very um, you know supply chain oriented uh, business where they need to be disciplined in how they manage the performance and how they manage everything. So those three values are very different for that company than the other one. They're both very successful because they all know the values and they live the values. Now, interestingly enough, today I heard in property management, somebody say there's no crying in, in property management. And now there's another company that, that I've, uh, that I've seen that has, you know, we allow crying <laughs> at our company. <laughs> so we, you know, we have we're we're more an emotional company. So so every company can have its unique values, and the more unique they are, the the better. You know, I, I worked with another small company, and and one of the values that they came up with is we wow, W O W, uh, and outside the box thinking. So so it you know that's how you get to build a culture is through three unique values that are balanced that uh, everybody knows and everybody lives. And when the CEO of Delta Airlines, for instance, Delta went through a, a rebirth when they merged with, with Northwest Airlines and there was a guy named Richard Anderson and they asked Richard, he brought the company out of bankruptcy and the company did very, very well. And, and as of today, Delta is still the number one in customer service for the large airlines in the U.S. And you can attribute that to culture. And when, when uh, he was asked in a, at the University of Texas by some students, he, he was being interviewed, and the students asked him, well, what's led to your success? And he said, values. So that's the magic formula right there. John, are there any cultural themes that are common or that you, you learn about through your practice that are misguided, meaning that that everyone wants to shoot for them, but they're either fool's gold or they don't produce the results that potentially other themes might? Right. So generic values like trust, respect, honesty, uh, integrity, all those things. The big thing about values is if they're very generic and there's a lot of them, people aren't going to remember them and they certainly aren't probably mm -hmm. going to live them. So one of the big watchouts for is keep it simple. Just don't put a bunch of stuff on the wall that's not, or, or in a book that's not going to get lit. Mm -hmm. Keep it simple. So that's one of the things to watch out for. And, and 
and be real, you know, be real to the culture that you want in your company and the culture that your company warrants to be successful. You know, some, some have a more hard driving culture, some have a more, but they all should have values that go into those three areas, the aspirational, the growth and the, and the operational, because if they don't, you get out of balance. I see companies that have a lot of operational values and no growth values and no aspirational values. So that's a company where they're driving you into the ground and they're probably going to have, you know, turnover, high turnover. So I can already tell by going in and seeing how people behave, whether there's going to be turnover or not in companies. Uh, so, and small companies, and, you know, I had a company where they said, you know, five of my employees left and they only had 25 people. I said, well, why did they leave? And the owners were real honest with me. They said they left because of us. They didn't like us. So well, we got to work on that because that's part of your culture. Hmm. So, you know, so those are all, you know, instances of, of things, you know, a lot of things you see in companies are symptoms of either a good culture or a bad culture. And, you know, obviously, for even for the newer generations, they're looking for companies with great cultures, and they will stay at that company if it has a good culture, and they will leave that company if it doesn't. So nowadays, it really, you know, if you want to retain the younger employees, the very talented and gifted Generation X and Z, and uh, even my daughter, who's 18, I uh, forget her, the name of her generation, to attract those kids, you need to you need to have a culture that you know caters to them and and espouses values that they believe in. So Taylor, it sounds like what I'm hearing is that culture can either be a a magnet in terms of attracting people, or it can be a, a repellent. It can it can push good people away. Right. Friends, friends, you're listening to the Small Business Matters podcast. It's the only podcast that truly matters to small business. So, John, before we get to our, our rapid-fire questions, Taylor is anxiously waiting to ask you uh, a handful of, of questions. I've got one more question for you. You've done a lot of work internationally, a variety right. of different countries. I'm curious, are there international differences in terms of culture? If I go to different countries, can I expect to see different types of organizational culture? Do they vary by country or not? They do. They do. And when in Rome do as the Romans. So a, a cultural framework for a company in Mexico will be very different from one in the UK, which will be very different from one in Thailand. Uh, now, there are things that, that you know you can see in common. Like when I go to different countries and I say, what makes a great leader? Pretty much everybody tells me the same things. So there's a lot of commonality in some things and, and there's a lot of nuances in others. And one of the things I've learned is when you go to another country is you need to be humble. I recommend you learn the language. I recommend you, you study the culture because, you know, I went and lived in Brazil and, and my graduate degree was in international business and we studied Portuguese and we took culture classes before we went to Brazil. And so when I got robbed in Sao Paulo, I got pickpocketed. I wasn't surprised because they warned us about that. So I knew about the culture. So you do as you as you go internationally, you do have to pay attention to the culture. And and sometimes as Americans, we don't travel that well because we don't learn the languages. We don't pay attention to the cultures. And then we wonder why people, 
you know, sometimes we're referred to as the ugly Americans. And it's because, you know, we don't, we want to behave like we want to behave in our country and other countries. And it's just not appropriate. For, for instance, if in Brazil, if you use the OK sign, it means to, you know, it, it means something very different than what it means here. So, so you need to be careful about, about hand gestures, about words, about all kinds of details when you're traveling and, and when you're doing business in other countries. That's a great question. Thanks, Tim. Uh, thank you, John. And now I'd like to turn it over to, to Taylor. He has got a number of rapid-fire questions. He's going to try to stump you. I'll warn you ahead of time. Strap yourself in. Here we go. Okay. Quite the introduction, as always. Uh, so, John, we'll start out with an easy one. Before uh, the show, we were talking a little bit about just podcasts in general and, and which ones you've been a part of or, or listened to. So I'm, I'm curious, do you have a favorite podcast that you listen to regularly that you would recommend to our listeners? Yes, this one. This one. Great answer. <laughs> Great answer. Uh, next one. Speaking of Latin America, I know you lived in a few different countries. Uh, do you have a, a favorite Latin American country and why? So for different reasons, I like different countries. If you like wine and, and steak, you go to Argentina. If, if you love just excitement and fun, go to, go to Rio, go to Brazil. <laughs> if you want to see a lot of culture, go to, go to Peru or Mexico. So I love different countries for different reasons. And obviously, I was born and raised in Mexico, so Mexico holds a you know, number one position in my heart. I still root for the Mexican soccer team. Okay. So far, your rapid-fire questions have been very politically correct, so uh, we're very well balanced there. Um, so another thing in your bio that struck me was you are a wine enthusiast. So what is your favorite wine or perhaps favorite uh, area to visit wine and, and wineries? Okay, so my my favorite, well, I, I have certain regions of the world because I work mm -hmm. at a winery that are really good. So if you want a Riesling or if you want oh, a Pinot Noir, you want to get it from Washington or Oregon. Okay. If you want a nice Cabernet, obviously Napa, Sonoma, Alexander, um, France, uh, Spain, et cetera, et cetera. Malbec, uh, to, you know, you go to Argentina for that. You know, every region's got great wines. Uh, you know, New Zealand for Sauvignon Blanc, uh, Australia uh, for that. So, so I, I choose by region, you okay. know, by, by varietal and by region. Do you have a favorite region that you always, always tend to go back to? Well, I enjoyed Argentina because the wines are outstanding and I'm a big steak lover. So uh, there's nothing better than a wine in Argentina with a, with a good steak. So Excellent. Uh, a nice smell back. Excellent. Turning back to culture for a minute, is there a, a large company that you specifically point to or, or a uh, maybe a favorite of yours in terms of the culture that they, they expel? I, I like Southwest Airlines because I have traveled on them and I ask every employee every time I see a different employee, I say, what are your values? They go, fun loving, servant heart, a warrior spirit. Mm-hmm. So I, I like the simplicity of that, and I love the way they live that every day. And very, very successful company. I love the Absolutely. successful companies in addition to the culture. Absolutely. So, John, we'll get you out of here on this one. You mentioned that you are also a soccer fan. Do you have a favorite soccer team? 
I have Cruz Azul in Mexico. Their big rival is America. Okay. And I also like uh, Munich, uh, Bayern. It's probably my favorite in Europe. And then uh, I like, I do follow the Atlanta United team here. Oh, very cool. Very nice. Yeah. How about you? Oh, I am not, unfortunately, much of a soccer fan. So when the World <laughs> Cup is on, I, I tend to be glued to the TV. But outside of that, the other three, three and a half years, uh, I never really watch much. So uh, no. it's nice to hear from some other teams that I'm not familiar with uh, that you're sharing today. John, I'm giving you an A+. Plus, a plus on the rapid-fire questions. Nice, Nicely done. So, John, I know oh, that uh, a number of our listeners will want to uh, follow up with you. What's the best way for them to contact you? I'll give, give you my short email, which is real easy. It's J-O-H-N at J-O-H-N-W-A-I-D.com. So John at John Wade.com. That's J-O-H-N at J-O-H-N-W-A-I-D as in David.com. So I want to encourage our listeners, if you're looking for a just a great speaker on the topic of culture, if you're looking for someone to come in and, and help train your people on this topic of culture and values, and or you're just looking for a good book, uh, John's also an author. I want to encourage you to, to reach out to John Wade. So, John, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Tim. It was a pleasure. Taylor, we've got a lot going on uh, with Small Business Matters. We are beginning to work on the 2021 Small Business Matters Conference, which is scheduled for May of 2021. As you know, I'm also working on a new book, The Meeting, and very possibly that book will be published before the end of the year. Our next Small Business Matters lunch is coming up. We have Cindy Filer, who is an expert on helping companies find talent. She's going to be our speaker at the next Small Business Matters lunch. And... What have I left out? I think the one thing you didn't uh, leave out is you've launched a new mastermind group. And so this is the second one, I believe, in 12 months. That's correct. The second Small Business Matters mastermind group. I've had a lot of fun with the first group. And now we just launched last week uh, the second uh, Small Business Matters mastermind group. So, Taylor, a lot of great takeaways from John. Anything particular stick out for you? I think just the, the point how important culture is at a company and I think John provided some great examples with Chick-fil-A, Southwest, and some of the, the small business anecdotes. And, and just really, it, it's glaring at the companies that excel and why you go back to places like Chick-fil-A and Southwest. And when you walk into other places, why they tend to struggle or are stagnant. And I think it all comes back to culture. Yeah, those are great takeaways. And, and likewise, a couple of things hit home for me. The ROI, you know, I think I think we tend to think of culture as something that is soft, you know, when the company it's it's maybe a nice to have, but not important to have. But I thought John made a really good case that the return on investment is significant in terms of uh, employee retention, in terms of profitability, productivity. So there certainly is a hard return on investment on having a strong culture. And the idea that there are different types of, of values that drive culture. And he talked about aspirational growth and operational. And then finally, the the idea that companies need to be authentic about their values, authentic about their culture. It's okay to be different. You don't have to be like everybody else, but you know, be true to what you believe in. So I hope our listeners picked up on, on each of those. So Taylor, once again, we'll, we'll bring a close to today's podcast. 
I want to thank everyone for listening to today's podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the Small Business Matters podcast. Thank you for listening today. It's the only podcast that truly matters to small businesses. May each of you continue to pursue all that matters.